Well, I'd just love to echo John's welcome to those of you here visiting tonight or here for the first time. It's brilliant to see you, and I hope you feel at home and welcome. Um, Tonight we're looking at a familiar passage of the Bible for many of us. I'm sure that many of us in here have heard this story maybe many times before. But the amazing thing is with the Scriptures is that God very often wants to remind us of things or say new things to us through familiar parts of the Bible. So why don't we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight through this part of the Scripture. Lord, we know that you're a speaking God, and we know that you love to take your written word and by your Spirit speak into our hearts and minds and lives through it. And so, Father, our prayer tonight is that you would speak to each of us wherever we are, wherever you are in our emotions tonight, wherever we are in our life situations tonight, wherever we are on our spiritual journeys tonight. We pray, Lord, and we seek you We ask you to speak to us through your word preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I was told a very interesting quote about making promises. And it went like this. It said, people with good intentions make promises, but people with good character keep promises. And it was really challenging to me. The challenge was that it's very, very easy to make promises but it's really rather difficult to keep them. And my guess is that all of you tonight can relate to that. I'm sure if you're a parent, your children will happily point out the promises that you've broken. If you're a son or daughter, maybe your parents would like to point out some promises that you've broken. But all of us here tonight, we've made promises, but not been able to keep them. And tonight what we're gonna see through this familiar part of the Bible is something very, very simple. We're going to see tonight a very simple but profound truth about God, and that is that God is the God who makes promises and also always keeps them. So see tonight if I preach a dud and you get a bit lost in the middle, if you remember that, you've got the big idea of the sermon. We have a God who makes promises and also keeps them. Last week we were in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we saw that everything good that God created kind of fell apart. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin came into the world, and death came into the world. And we saw that there was now a broken relationship between people and God, and between people and each other, and between people and creation. But last week, in the middle of all of that, we heard God make an incredible, amazing, wonderful promise. And his promise was that through Eve's descendants, one would come who would crush Satan, defeat death, and also defeat sin. One was going to come who was going to fix the broken world, who I guess was going to restore Eden again. It was a very big promise to make, but it was one that had been made by God. And tonight as we come to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see that God gives us a bit more detail about how this big promise is going to be worked out. And in Genesis chapter 12, who we meet is a man called Abram. We meet him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We actually met him in Genesis chapter 11, if you read that, and we see the line that he comes through. As as John said, he comes from Eve, through Seth, through Noah, and then we have Abram. So he's a descendant of Eve. And what we know about Abraham is, well, that there's really nothing special about him. He's just an ordinary man. 
just a normal man whose descendants trace back to Eve. His name, what it means, is Exalted Father. But I reckon that was a difficult name for Abram to carry. Imagine every time you heard your name, what you were hearing was Exalted Father. Imagine that was your name. Now imagine that you weren't actually able to have children. Imagine you were childless. Every time you heard your name spoken, it would be difficult, wouldn't it? Abram, 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 a reminder, a reminder that he isn't the exalted father who he longed to be. Every time he heard someone speak his name, I imagine it was difficult for this man. But here at the beginning of chapter 12, God speaks his name. God speaks to Abram. In Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that God spoke to to creation and it came into being. But here what we see is that God speaks to an individual. He speaks to an individual man. He speaks to a normal person. Folks, I just want to remind you tonight that our God really is a speaking God. I want to remind you tonight that our God loves to speak to his people. And tonight as you sit here, I I guess I just have a question for you, and it's this, what is God saying to you just now? Has he been speaking to you? Has he said anything to you recently through a sermon? Has he said anything to you recently through a Bible passage being read? Has he said anything recently through a conversation where someone's brought in some script for that conversation? Has God been speaking to you? And if he has, I want to encourage you, will you listen to him? Will you listen to whatever he's been saying? Anyway, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abram. And basically what he does is he tells Abram that it's time to move house. Abram, You don't have to go on property news because I'm going to tell you where I want you to go. But what I want you to do, Abraham, is I want you to get up and I want you to leave everything you know behind. And I want you to go to the land that I am going to show you. Have a look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. On average, people in Britain, they move house every 23 years. That is the average amount. I wonder how many times you've moved house. I've moved house an awful long time, a lot lot of times. I wonder how many times that you have moved. Well, on average in Britain, it's every 23 years. But in the ancient world, people didn't move house. In the world of Abram, people settled in a place and they stayed there for generation after generation after generation. They didn't move. They stayed exactly where they were and and they built up their own family and their own community. They stayed put. Now, Abram, he was already a little different than, than everybody else because he had actually moved already by this stage. He was born in a place called Ur. He he grew up there as a child, and then at some point, he moved to a place called Haran. And if you have a wee look on your map on the right-hand side of your handout, you'll see that. So there's Ur, and then you've got Haran up to the north, about 300 kilometers or so. So he's already moved house. He settled in this place called Haran. He's been living there. He settled there. His family are there. 
He's happy there. But then God speaks to him. And he says, Abram, I want you to get up. And I want you to get your family. And I want you to get your stuff. Go with your wife. Get all your stuff. And I want you to move to a new place. To, to the new place that I'm going to show you. And what we find out a little later is that place is called Canaan. And again, if you have a look at your map, it's a big distance, isn't it? It's another faraway place. No Skype or Zoom to keep in touch with family back in Haran. No trains or buses to go back and visit. No postal service to write letters to keep in touch. What God was asking of Abram was massive. I want you to leave behind everything you know. Leave behind everything that makes you feel secure. Leave behind your home. Leave behind your father's household. Leave behind your family. Leave behind your friends. And get up and move to the land that I'm going to show you. I think at any age, this would be a big ask. At any age, this would be a difficult decision to make, wouldn't it? To, to get up sticks and, and move. But I think it might be even more difficult for Abram because he was 75 years old. 75. I can't imagine moving to Australia at 75 without anyone I know. I just couldn't imagine it. And yet this is what the Lord asks him to do. Get up and move to a different land where you don't know anyone, you don't know the culture, you don't know the language. Get up, Abram, and go. Now, what you have to understand tonight is that this wasn't just a random command. This wasn't God just kind of going, well, do you know what? I think Abraham could do with a, a change of scene, so I'll get him to move to Canaan. That wasn't it. It wasn't just a random command. It also wasn't God testing Abraham. No, what this was, was this was God making a covenant with Abraham. Now, that word covenant, I guess if you've been around church for a while, you've maybe heard that word. But I wonder, do you know what that means? What does it mean that God made a covenant with Abram? What is a covenant? Because what you're going to see is, as we journey through the Bible, is you're going to see that God is constantly making covenants with people. He actually made a covenant with Adam. He, he made a covenant with Noah. We're going to see he makes a covenant tonight with Abram. We're going to see further down the line, he makes a covenant with Moses and with David. And then what we're going to see is that he makes a new covenant with us, with people here and now today. God is a covenant-making God, but, but my guess is, you might be wondering, well, Marty, what is that? What does that mean that God makes covenants? Well, I've got a little section on your handout. It's just under your map, and I don't want to talk you through that to help you understand a bit more what a covenant is. So the first thing you need to know is that it's a bit like a contract between two parties. It's a bit like a contract, a written agreement today. We have contracts with phone companies. We have contracts with broadband companies. It's a bit like that. It's a contract. And in this contract, it explains how a relationship between two parties is going to work. So it's a contract that explains how a relationship between two parties is going to work. It's maybe a bit like Britain now we're out of Europe. And we're making these treaties with other countries. We're, we're trying to work out how this relationship is now going to work. 
and we're putting together documents to try to, to get across how this relationship's going to work. That's a bit like what a covenant is like. And what we see in a, in a covenant is that promises are made by the person who makes the covenant. Promises are made by, I guess, the, the main party in the covenant. So when it comes to the covenants that God makes, we see that God makes promises as part of his covenants. And then as well as promises, there are also obligations on the person receiving the covenant. So people have to do something. Not always. Sometimes there are unconditional covenants, but often they have to do something to, to experience the promises that God is giving. And then all covenants, well, they're usually sealed with a sign, with a, a seal, a symbol, a sign. There's something is done that, that agrees the covenant. Now, if you're lost, let me try and explain it in a way you should understand, I really, really hope. I currently have a covenant with Vodafone. They provide my home broadband and they have made me this wonderful promise. They have made me this wonderful promise. They have promised that they were going to give me 100 megabytes per second of internet. It's a great promise. So there they are. They're the ones who set the covenant. They're the main party. They've made the promise of 100 megabytes per second broadband. And they've also let me know my obligations. What do I have to do if I'm going to receive these promises laid out by Vodafone? Well, I have to pay them 30 pounds a month. My obligation is to pay them their 30 pounds a month. What are the consequences if I don't? If I break the covenant, what are the consequences? Well, my broadband will be cut off. I will still owe the money. And if you listen to a sermon a couple of weeks ago, I will have a default put on my credit rating if I don't pay. There are consequences for breaking the covenant. And then what's the sign? What's the sign of this covenant? Well, it's that I put my signature. I signed. I agreed to this. I put my name to it. I, I signed my signature. Now, I know that that might have been a bit tedious to listen to that, but it's really important we understand this. Our God is a covenant-making God. If we want to know how to relate to God, we, we just look at his covenants. If we want to know what God expects from us, we look at his covenants. It's really simple to know what God expects of us. It's really simple to understand how God relates to us if we take a look at the covenants that he makes with his people. Sometimes I think we can worry. I don't know what God wants from me. Or I, I don't know what God thinks of me. We wonder about our security. Am I really secure in my relationship with God or is he going to disown me? Well, the great news is that, that God lays out how the relationship he has with people works and he lays it out in the covenants in the Bible. And here, whenever God speaks to Abram and tells him to get up and to go to the land he's going to show him, what God is doing is he, he's starting to make a covenant here with Abram. And what we see, start, the first thing we see is we see the promises. We see the promises of this covenant. You see, God, I said earlier, is a, prov a promise-making God. And just have a look at the promises he made. Have a look at verse 2 and 3. God says to Abram, get up, leave, go to the land I'm going to show you. Verse 2, 
and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you see the six things in there? Abram, if you get up and you go to this land that I'm going to show you, I am going to make you into a great nation. Abram, if you get up and go, I'm going to cause a great, great, big nation to come from little old you, Abram. What an incredible promise. Then there's promise number two, and I will bless you, Abram. I know it's scary. I know it's frightening, the thought of getting up and leaving everything behind and going to a far-off land where you don't know the people and you don't know the language. I know that's frightening. But Abram, I will bless you. I will bring you happiness. I will bring you joy. I will bring you security. I will bless you, Abram, when you go. And Abram, I will make your name great. Abram, you see right now, nobody really knows who you are. I mean, you're definitely not on the the hundred most influential people in the world, Abram. But Abram, you see, if you go, I am going to make you famous. I am going to make your name great. Fast forward to today. Abram is great in the eyes of those of us who are followers of Jesus. He's great in the eyes of Jewish people. He's even great in the eyes of Muslim people. Abram has become great in so many people's eyes. Abram, your name will be great if you go. And you will be a blessing. Now, I'm not so sure that you is just Abram. I think he's talking about the descendants who come from him. Your people, they're going to be a blessing to the world. They're going to bless other people. You see, when you read the scriptures, what you actually see is that sometimes descendants come from someone and they're a curse. They're a blight on the earth. They do evil things and bad things and they make life miserable for other people. But God says to Abram, Abram, if you go, I'm going to make the nation that comes from you a blessing. They're going to bless other people. They will be a good people who bring blessing. And then there's this very personal promise as well. Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Abram, you see, when you get to your new land, and you're worried about how people are going to treat you, and, you, and you're worried about how they're going to accept you or not, and, and you're worried about maybe getting attacked, well, Abram, I just want you to listen to this. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. That will encourage people to bless you, Abraham. But also, I will curse whoever curses you. I'll be your protector, Abraham. I'll look after you, Abraham. Now, those are all wonderful promises, but it is the last promise. It's the last promise I want you to zoom in on right now. Look at the end of verse 3. He says this, God says this, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that word you, it's the idea of seed. Through your seed, Abram, 
all people on the earth will be blessed. Through one of your descendants, Abram, all people on earth shall be blessed. This is the continuation of that promise in Genesis 3. This is what we're seeing here. Abram, through you, the one who's going to crush Satan and undo sin and death, through you, that one is going to come if you go to the land I'm going to show you. And not only is this one going to crush Satan and crush death and crush sin, he's going to bring blessing. He's going to bring great joy to people. He's going to bring great delight to all peoples on the earth. God is a promise-making God, and we see these wonderful promises made to Abram at the start of this covenant. Did you know that in the Bible, in fact, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you to guess, but I know you're Presbyterians, most of you, so you probably won't give me an answer out loud. So in your mind, okay, I wanted to guess in your mind, okay, how many promises do you think God makes in the Bible? By the way, I've not counted them. I'm trusting some experts, okay? In your mind, just, just get a figure in your mind, how many? <laughs> Again, I would ask you to put your hands up, but you probably won't do that either, so I won't do that. Um, okay, I wonder, is it more than... 100. Just give me a wee nod. Okay, can we nod? We could do nod. Okay, more than 100. Okay, anyone got more than a 1,000? Oh, you're so Presbyterian. There's no one. Okay, oh, this is terrible. This isn't going to work. Anyway, I'll just tell you. There are 8,810. God makes 8,810 promises in the Bible. And 7,487 of them are to people, to, to humankind. God is a God who makes promises. And he makes 7,000 of them plus to people. And tonight, as, as we think about God being a promise-making God, I want to ask you something, and it's quite personal. What do you do with the promises that God makes. Think about it for a second. What do you do, you, what do you do with the promises that God makes? My guess is there are different answers to that in the room tonight. The first group of people, maybe you're people who name it and claim it. You, you blab it and grab it. Any promise you see that's made by God to anyone, you say, do you know what? That's for me. That's a promise for me. And, and you name it for yourself and you claim it for yourself and you trust that promise and, and you believe it's for you. Now, in one sense, I like your faith. In one sense, I, I like what you're doing there. You're, you're trusting God. You, you hear his promises and you take them as your own. But I want you to just exercise some caution there. Because one of the things that we can do with God's amazing promises is that we can claim promises to be for us and, and make some mistakes in that. Let me highlight a few mistakes. And again, this is not to put you off trusting the promises of God, but it's to make sure you're trusting the right promises. 
Uh, one thing that people can do is they can trust principles and they can t- confuse principles as promises. Now, maybe you're confused already by what I'm trying to say there. If you are, if you open up the book of Proverbs, it has lots of principles for life, lots of guidance for life. But one of the mistakes that we can make is that we can make, take this guidance and we can claim it as a promise and believe that God is then promising us something. A very familiar promise. Train up a child in the way he shall go and he shall not depart from it. Is that a promise? Well, I think from experience, we cannot say it is. There are many of us who have maybe trained up our children in in the way of Christ, in the way of salvation, in the way of following Jesus. We've trained them up well. We've always pointed them in the right direction. We've always shown them Christ. My goodness, they know their Bible better than we do. They were brought up in the faith, but but now they're, they're not. They're not walking with Christ. Has God failed on his promise? No, because it was never a promise. It was a principle. It was a principle. So we must be careful that we're not confusing principles and promises. That's the first thing. A second mistake we can make when it comes to promises is we can just ignore the context. We can just ignore what's going on in the rest of the passage or, or who it's being made to. So for example, tonight... We've seen the promise made to Abraham. God said, get up, go, leave your family behind you, go to the land I'm going to show you, and there'll be a nation comes from you and you'll be blessed. Now, if I was to take that to be for me, there'd be a problem in there. Because after this service, I'd be getting on a flight to Pakistan, hoping that God's going to create a great nation for me. The context is important. Some promises are are only given to people in the Bible at specific times for specific purposes and for specific reasons. So, So don't be too quick to claim a promise as your own. Read the context. What's going on in the passage? How does it fit in with the bigger piece of Scripture? Another problem sometimes that we make is that we ignore a little word in some of God's promises. There's a little word in many of them, and the little word is if. 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 The word if is so often contained in the promises that God makes. James says, if you ask me for wisdom, I will give it. The promise is not that just will give us wisdom all the time, but if we ask, if we seek. And so again, a mistake would be to to, to look at a promise of God with an if in it and ignore the if and just think that God's going to come through on the promise. Very often, the promises have an obligation to them. And then the last mistake we can make with the promises of God is that we think we know how they're going to work out. God does make some amazing promises to us all. For example, God promises that he will work things out for our good and his glory. It is one of those amazing promises that I cling to as I go through my life. God will work all things out for my good and for his glory. But there comes a problem whenever I think I know what that should look like. I know what that should look like. 
I have an idea of, of what that should turn out like, what this situation should work out like for my good and his glory. But God has a, a different plan. He's not failed on his promises. I've just jumped the, the gun and assumed I know how they should work out. So tonight I want to encourage you, look at the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. But make sure any that you're claiming for yourself are for you. Make sure you're not believing promises that were for someone else and not for people in general. Now that sounds a bit discouraging, so let me give you a few promises that are definitely for us. In James 1.5, as I've said, he promised to give us wisdom if we ask. That is a great promise. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, we heard about it a couple of weeks ago. God promises that whenever we're tempted, that he'll give us a way out. He'll give us an escape when we're tempted. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. He promises that in John 10, 28 and 29. Our salvation is secure because it's been secured by Jesus. He promises never to leave or forsake his people. Tonight, I wonder is there one or two of you here who feel like God has left you? I don't know, but I wonder, are there? I feel like God's abandoned you. Friend, tonight, that promise will be kept by him. He's not gone back on that promise. He never will go back on that promise if you're one of his children. He will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So tonight, no matter how you feel, I want you to, to cling to that promise tonight. He promises to finish the good work he begun in us. And again, that is a great promise. There are times in our Christian life when it feels like we're going backwards. We feel like we're making progress, becoming more like Jesus. We feel like we're loving Christ more and serving him better. We feel like we're making progress, but then there's times when we feel like we're going back. But Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we have that promise. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And a final promise tonight I want us to remember is that Christ will come back. Christ will come back. Luke 12, 40. Jesus will come back and all the sad things he will undo and all the broken things he will fix. Now, I've highlighted some of the problems of kind of overclaiming the promises of God. But I've already given you a hard time for being Presbyterians, many of you tonight, and I'm going to do it again. Because you know what I think our problem is? I don't think it's that we overclaim the promises of God or overtrust the promises of God. I think it's that we don't trust the promises of God enough. I think it's that we don't trust the promises of God enough. Do we live in light of God's promises? I mean, really, honestly, do we? Those promises that I read out I mean, that promise that in the middle of temptation there'll always be an escape route. Do we really believe that and live in light of that? How do you know? Because you'll be looking for that escape route. Do we believe that promise? Do we live in light of it? 
Christ is going to return. That is a promise that's made. Do we live in light of that? Do we believe it? He's going to complete the work he started in us. Do we believe that or do we think that we're done for as a Christian? Folks, my guess is tonight that that your problem is not so much maybe that you believe the promises of God too strongly and believe the wrong promises. My guess is tonight that you maybe do not believe God's promises enough. And tonight I want to encourage you tonight to, to lean into the promises of God. To trust them. To believe them. And if you do, what will happen is you'll be like Abram. Because what did Abram do? He trusted the promises of God and he took action. There was faith and obedience. There was trust and action. He actually did get up. He did pack up all his stuff. And he moved 300 miles away. He left everything behind. He trusted the promises of God and he acted upon them. And folks, that's what I want to encourage you to do. To trust in the promises of God and to act upon them. And there's a reason why we can do that with confidence. It's because our God is not just a promise-making God. He's also a promise-keeping God. You know, all of us here tonight, we, we, we have to hold our hands up. We're, we're not so good at keeping promises. Even as Christians, you know, there are times when as Christians we, we stand up at the front of church and we make promises to God and we make them in front of a congregation. We take wedding promises at our wedding. We take promises of church membership. We make promises at the baptism of our children. We make these big, bold promises. But the reality is that very often we, we don't keep them. We can't keep them. But God is not like that. The reason we can trust in the promises that God makes is because he keeps his promises. And again, we see this. We see this in Genesis 21, the last passage that John read. 75 years old, the promises made to Abram. 75 years old, he gets up and he goes to the land that God is showing him. And do you know how long he has to wait? He has to wait for 25 years. 25 years and still no child, all those years. But in the 25th year, when Abraham, he's called Abraham, by the way, at that stage, which means father of a nation, Abraham at 100 years old has the son that was promised. The timing might not have been what Abraham had hoped for. The circumstances might not have been how Abraham imagined they were going to be. But God did not fail. God kept his promise. And Sarah, his wife, had the child, the first child in the nation that would grow. But that is not the only promise that God kept. Because when you fast forward a few hundred years, you see that the nation is established, this nation of Israel. 
And then whenever you fast forward 2,000 years, do you know what you see then? You see the seed. You see the one. You see the one coming from Abram's line who's going to make it possible for all people on earth to be blessed. If you have a look at down at the bottom right-hand corner of your handout, you, you see the fulfillment of it in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus, he's in an argument with the religious leaders. They're accusing him of being from Satan again. It seems to be something they kept doing. You're of the devil, you're of the devil, you're of the devil. And Jesus gets into this argument. And they start talking about being sons of Abraham. And Jesus, he starts talking about Abraham. And then look what he says to them. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of one coming through who the whole earth will be blessed. Abraham rejoiced that I was on my way. God is a God who makes covenants with people and God is a God who keeps his promises. Tonight if you're sitting here and maybe you found your way into church tonight and, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're interested in Christianity. Maybe you're interested in the Bible and, and you find your way in here tonight and all of this is maybe new to you or a bit confusing. What I want to do just now is I just want to very quickly let you understand this new covenant that God has made. This, this covenant that God offers to you tonight and it's this. He offers you the blessing of forgiven sin. He promises that, that he will take away your sin, that he will forgive it, that he will remember it no more. He also promises to bring you into a relationship with him where you can enjoy life with him now and forever. They are the promises that are made to you tonight by God as part of the new covenant. And do you know what your obligation is? Your obligation is to receive these things as a gift. That's your obligation. God offers you them tonight as a gift and the only obligation you have is to receive them. It's to turn away from whatever way you're living, to turn away from your sin, to turn away after your own way and to turn to him and in faith receive these gifts that he offers you, the gift of forgiveness and the gift of a relationship with him that will never be broken. And the reason you can receive it as a gift, the reason why there's no obligation on your part is because Jesus has fulfilled all your obligations for you. The Lord Jesus, he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. He lived perfectly under God's rule. He obeyed every command of God perfectly so that when you trust him, he gives you that into your account. And not only that, but all of the times that you have sinned against God, all of the times that you have broken God's law, Jesus died and received the punishment that you deserved. The curse of the covenant he took so you don't have to. Tonight, God offers you this wonderful agreement. I promise to forgive all of your sin. I promise to bring you into my family and never let you leave.
I promise to be your God and let you be one of my people. And all you must do is turn away from living for yourself and turn to me and by faith receive what my son has won for you. And the amazing thing is that, that when you receive the terms of that covenant, you, you get so many blessings. You get given the Holy Spirit who's going to change you and make you into a new person who looks more and more like Jesus. You're going to have an unbroken relationship with God. You're going to know him now and forever. Tonight, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you haven't come to these terms and accepted the terms of the new covenant, I'll be out the front tonight. And if you want to speak to me, please just pull me aside and have a chat. And I'd love to talk more to you about this. But for now, let's pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. Almighty God, we thank you tonight that we do not have to guess how you relate to us because we know that you have made this wonderful new covenant with us. We want to thank you tonight so much for Jesus who, who lived the life that we couldn't live, perfectly fulfilling every aspect of your law. We thank you for Jesus Christ who, who died the death that we deserve to die for breaking your law. And we thank you that when by faith we receive you, when we receive Christ, we receive you as our Father and the Spirit as our Helper and the Son as our Forgiver and Savior. Well, Lord, tonight help us to believe your promises as we leave this place and help us tonight to live in light of them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.